Thanks for listening to the Journey Podcast. We're glad you're here. Journey exists to engage people in the process of knowing Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast engages you, encourages you, and brings you closer to Jesus. Well, good morning, Journey. My name is Keith Walton. I'm the campus pastor at our South Augusta campus. Those of you that may be watching online are in the are in the atrium or down at Sherwood. Hey, y'all. See y'all next week. Um, I am absolutely ecstatic about the opportunity to close out this series with Pastor Bobby. Um, today, we're going to talk about marriage at the table. Marriage at the table. It's been a great series. Last week, um, one of the things that Caleb... Uh, What Caleb talked about was um, being on versus off, in versus of, and versus but. You have no idea what I'm talking about. If you were not here, I suggest you go download that podcast or pull it up on YouTube. It's an amazing, amazing message. But today I'm going to talk about marriage at the table. And when Bobby told me that um, I was going to have the opportunity to share this week, I started just thinking about different things that were on the table, the way the table was set, uh, your marriage you're eating, you're eating off of paper plates and with plastic forks instead of fine china like God called you to. Um, and then I, when I sat down, I, I thought about my mom uh, growing up, and I'm playing outside in the yard, and I done picked up dead birds, and I'm trying to throw it at my friends. I've been wrestling with my friends. I've been digging holes with my hands, and she screams in. She screams out to me, Keith, supper. Wasn't dinner. It was supper. S-U-P-P-A. Supper. It was, a, it was a super meal. Uh, you had three sides. Never mind. Anyway, so we're about to have supper, and I run in the house, and the moment I open the door, the aroma of whatever she fixed goes up in my nostrils. My mouth begins to salivate. My stomach begins to make noise. I cannot wait. I run to the table. I sit down. I'm like, yeah, I pick up my fork and my knife. I cannot wait. And my mama looks at me like I'm crazy, and she says, what do you think you're doing? It's like, I'm ready to eat. She's like, boy, if you don't get your hind parts up and go in that bathroom and wash your hands. Wash your hands. Now, now, why do we wash our hands before we eat? Because the things, like I mentioned, I've been picking up dead birds, throwing them at my friends, wrestling, digging holes. I've got all these germs on my hands. And when I pick up my food with my hands, I can contaminate myself because of the dirt or the filth that's on me. Say, well, Pastor Keith, how does this relate to marriage? I'm glad you asked. Ephesians 5, 25, verse 25 through 27 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Washing of the word. If you are married and you are not washing your spouse in the word, meaning y'all are breaking that bread together, what ends up happening is when you leave and leave your house, your inner sanctum of your house, and you go out into the world, the world is dirty. And we, we begin to be covered, especially in our workplace. If you don't have, if you're, not a, if you're not on staff at a church and you're or in Christian education and your day-to-day life, you're not surrounded by Christians that you work with, that could be a dark environment. A lot of profanity, 
A lot of, a lot of jokes that shouldn't be said. And you pick things up. And then you take them home. Matter of fact, my second job I ever had, I worked in a fish market. And I'm cleaning, I'm cleaning fish, I'm cleaning mullet, I'm cleaning uh, 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 shucking oysters, and I've, I've got these gloves on, but like, I've done it so much and so long, it's like the scent seeped through my hands. It's, I'm actually covered in this aroma. And when I go home and I'm with my loved ones, they're all like, oh my goodness, you smell horrendous. And you know what? I've, done, I've been around it so long, I'm, I'm blind to the scent. I don't even know I smell like that. I mean, one day in particular, I did this. I went home. My friends were playing basketball down at the park. I threw some shoes on, didn't wash my hands or anything, ran down to the park, literally turned around, and I've got cats <laughs> following me. That's how strong this aroma is. Your workplace is the same way, and you, you bring home this aroma, this scent, this filth to the one that you love the most. Don't believe me? Have a stressful day. Be under attack by your manager. Get chewed out by a customer. When you come home because of this stress, the first one you take it, out to, take it on to is your spouse. Like they did it. They weren't even there. Wash your hands. Wash your spouse in the word of God. Another thing I noticed that when I sat at the table and I scooched up, I washed my hands, I picked up my fork and I picked up my knife and my bride is sitting across from me and I'm gazing in her eyes, but my eyes are also caught on something else that's on the table. And I drop my gaze down to the thing that's focused in the middle, this centerpiece. My second point would be Christ should be your centerpiece. No, that's not a misspelling on the screen. Because if Christ is the focus of your marriage, your marriage will have peace. If Christ is not, your marriage will have a lot of turbulence to the point where you will question whether this is even the right thing or not. Did I make the right decision? And Satan then just comes in with all that doubt, start throwing darts in your back, shooting you with fiery arrows to the point where you say, I want out. Christ has to be your centerpiece. Matthew 22, 36 through 38 says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great this is the great and first commandment. A lot of times when we go through marriage counseling, the bride wants the husband to be the head and cover her. And so husband's supposed to just read the word for himself and then just share it with the bride. No, no. This is your and you. It doesn't say them. This is personal, which means husband and wife. You've got to be seeking God's word for yourself. If not, you're going to always be operating on an emotional empty tank. And you're going to wonder why you're so exhausted and why you're so tired and nothing ever seems to go our way. And you're always on edge with your spouse. Jesus needs to be your centerpiece. Last thing, uh, my third job that I had, 
Not that I had a bunch of them. I was a, I was a football coach, and I was in charge of the weight room. And we ended up remodeling our weight room, and we've got these different benches in. And um, one of the exercises that we used to use is the bench press. How many of y'all have ever done a bench press before? All right, you got me. So you got a flat bench. You lay down on your back. You get the bar. You take it to your chest, and you push it up. Well, this particular day, we got these new benches. And when you looked at them, they looked normal, but then there was this lever on the bottom of it where you can incline the bench. Oh, man, this is awesome. Incline the bench. If you want peace in your family, in your, in your marriage, one of the things you need to do, Psalms 119.36 says, incline my heart. Everybody say heart. Everybody say heart. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. In order to incline your heart, you've got to be intentional about seeking God. Because when you don't and you're not intentional in your marriage about seeking God and inclining your heart, then you recline. We all know what a recliner is. Oh, yeah, you sit in that when you're tired, kick your feet up, you just relax. That's when your marriage is on cruise control. You're not doing anything, and you think it's enough, and then the enemy is just waiting for you to slip up just one time so he can light you up, and then you go home, and you know who you blame? Your spouse. It's her fault. She didn't do, or he didn't do. Your spouse can't give you purpose. Jesus has already done that, so you've got to go straight to the source, why do all this for our marriage, you say? Psalms 37, 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. When you say I do, you're not saying I do so that your marriage fails. You're saying I do so your marriage can be an example, a standard for everyone to see. Your marriage should glorify God. Philippians 4.19 says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ. When you wash your hands, when Jesus is your centerpiece, when you incline your heart, you don't have to try to have a great marriage. God supplies you with everything that you need to have a great marriage. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for the opportunity to share your word about marriage, Heavenly Father. It seems like there's so much adversity going on right now in the midst of COVID. And when we went to shelter in place, thought we were going to have baby boomers and end up we having more divorces than ever. So Heavenly Father, I ask right now that I, I, I pray the spirit of Galatians 6, 9 over this congregation. Heavenly Father, that we may not grow weary in well-doing so that we can reach our harvest as long as our heart does not faint. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. Give it up for Pastor Keith. Hey, before you go, Keith, 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 come here for a second. So we work on having great marriages around here, and Keith said something in the first service that apparently his wife had not heard, and he didn't share it. I want you to share the story about you at the kitchen, at the table. You need to turn him back on, yeah. In my, in my second, no, my third job, I'm coaching, and uh, I'm around kids all day, and you ordering them around and ordering them around. So got home one day, kind of forgot where I was at, <laughs> walked in the house, and I was like, Lynette, where's my dinner at? And she didn't say anything, so I literally picked the whistle up <laughs> and, 
and tooted it at my wife. And she had some adjective describing words. And she says, uh, I say to her, well, I'm the head of this house. And she says, you are the head, but I'm the neck. And if you want my support, you better not ever do that to me again. So we titled this message, Blow the Whistle and Lose Your Seat at the Table. (laughs) Man, oh man, oh man. It's been a good series, hasn't it? If you haven't been able to get to all of them, I would encourage you to go back and watch the first three. They've been amazing. And today we're going to talk about, and there's one thing, and I don't know if y'all caught it or not, and it, it's, and maybe he glanced over it so fast, and I would like to kind of rest in it for a little, a little bit. He talked about heart, about protecting our hearts, and it took me back to a moment because in every uh, ceremony, wedding ceremony that I do, there's a line that I, I say it every time, and it's just this, you have to guard your heart. You have to guard your heart. In your marriage, you have to guard your heart. Because if you don't guard your heart, you won't be sitting at the table. If you don't guard your heart, somebody else will be called husband or wife. If you don't guard your heart, somebody else is going to be called dad or mom. So it's one of those deals where when we're talking about this thing, and it's, it's funny because I looked at the last couple of weeks at that whole concept of heart. Do you know the Bible talks about the heart a hundred times? And it's not talking about the organ that's beating in our chest. It's talking about the central focus of our lives, our motives, how we do things, why we do things, who, who's in charge, who's, who's important in our lives. And I thought, can we just for the next couple of months, can we just look at this concept of our hearts? Because the Bible is filled with these scriptures. One of my favorites is found in 1 Samuel chapter 16. And it says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on the appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the what? The heart, the heart. As a matter of fact, if you just kind of, let's just take a real quick, just glance it through scripture. The book of Psalms repeatedly refers to loving and praising God with a pure heart and a whole heart. Psalms 51, which we're going to read and quote several times today, is create in me a clean heart. If you go to Jeremiah, it's talking about serving God with a whole heart. Ezekiel, we're commanded to receive a new heart. Jesus said that your heart reflects what's coming out or your mouth reflects of what's coming out of your heart. So all through scripture, where you put your money, your heart is, right? Ephesians says, you know, that your heart must be enlightened. Colossians says that your heart, put your heart above all things. And 1 John reminds us, God is greater, or God is greater than our hearts or, 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 or what's going on inside of our lives. And so this heart, the state of heart, and I want to make this statement, and you guys got to get this, write this down. The state of your heart is the most important thing in your life. It's bigger than the state of your marriage. It's bigger than the state of, of your kids. It's bigger than the state of the amount of money you have in your checking account. The state of your heart is the most important thing. So what i like to do over the next kind of 10 minutes or so, I want to peel it back a little bit and give us three high-level things and kind of fill in some gaps real quick, okay? So let's lean into this today because this is really important. The first thing is your actions reveal your heart and your heart dictates your actions and determine your destination. I'm going to say this again. I'm going to say it slow because I want everybody to get it. Your actions reveal your heart and your heart dictates your actions and it determines where your destination How many times have you ever heard a person say, how did I get in this place right here? How did I end up with this addiction? How did I end up with this problem or this this issue with with my marriage? How did I end up right here? Well, I'm telling you throughout scripture, we see it's our heart. Wherever our heart is, it's leading into a a certain direction and will lead us to the destination we're in right now. If you feel like you're in a dry bones type of uh, type of time of your life, it's probably because your heart is taking you to the wrong place. If you feel like you're flourishing, it's because your heart has taken you to a good place. That's what Jeremiah is saying. 
Jeremiah chapter 17, five. We've, we've talked about this. It says, thus says the, says the Lord, cursed in the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. And watch, watch what happens. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in a parched place in the wilderness in an uninhabited or uninhabited salt land. But, so if you're in that spot and you're feeling dry, it's probably because your heart has led you to the wrong spot. But this but right here is really, really important. And it says, but he is, uh, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by the Lord that sends out its roots by its streams and does not fear when heat comes for its leaves remain green. And it's not anxious in the year of drought for it does not cease to bear fruit. Meaning when you're in the right place and your heart is in the right place, there's all kinds of stuff happening. You're all kinds of fruit. And it says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. And it says, and who can even understand it? Listen, I don't understand why our heart leads us astray, but I can tell you from personal experience, my heart has led me down roads that I should have never gone. Um, anybody ever watch, and, and this is kind of, you're, and I'm gonna say this, your actions and your conduct reveal the state of your heart. Do you know that? Your actions and your conduct reveal the state of your heart. Anybody into, I'm really into it, these, um, these true crime podcasts or anything like that? Anybody, am I the only person? Like, I am like, the, I'm actually, there's a fiction on Netflix. It's called, I think it's called um, Only Murders in the Building. It's with Steve Martin and um, Martin Shore and Selena Gomez. And uh, it's amazing. I, I, but I was listening to this one true crime podcast. Again, who, who looks, listens to them? Okay. So you may have heard this one. I'm not going to tell you this, who it is because I don't want to get in any type, type of trouble. But there's actually a, a, this last podcast. There's this 16-year-old boy that killed, murdered two people in cold blood. Like cold blood. His mom's on this podcast. And you know what she says? And you've heard this before. The, the, the mom says, but he's a really good kid. I'm going, no, he's not. He just killed two people. That's not a really good kid. That's somebody that's heart has led them down a wrong road. But how many times have we heard this in our lives? Yeah, I know he beats his wife a little bit, but he's a really good guy. Or yeah, 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 he, he hollers at his employees every once in a while, but you know something he really, no, he does not. Our heart will dictate where we're at in our lives. Our heart dictates our actions. So if our heart's all messed up, our, action, our actions are gonna be all messed up. Don't let your heart, and I want you to write this down. Don't let your heart accuse you and don't let your heart excuse you because it'll want to do both. It'll accuse you of the, the direction, the wrong, but it'll also excuse you from not dealing with the things that we need to deal with. So that's the first thing, okay? Destination. The second thing is this. Put up guardrails to protect your heart. Now, I want to explain what guardrails are. I'm going to explain it by sharing a story. How many people have ever driven in South Carolina? <laughs> Enough said. So everybody, if you were to pull out of this parking lot and if you ride to the right, you're gonna hit a road called Fears Ferry, right? And if you make a left, you're gonna go over the bridge right there at the river. Well, I was with a friend, his name is Gene. We were riding up the road and there was a car directly in front of us. It was like an old, like a Ford Explorer. And this car was weaving back and forth. And have you ever been behind a car like that? You're like, you're, you're shouting, you're screaming, you're using your brake to try to get his attention. I'm flicking my lights on and off. I'm, I'm, the, I'm not the beep, beep. It's like the beep, but he's going back and forth. And all of a sudden, we're sitting there looking. I was like, man, I sure hope a car isn't coming the other direction. 
And all of a sudden, he shot to the right of the, of the lane, right? So he was in the right-hand lane. He shot, and he hit the guardrail. And the guardrail shot him completely across the other side of the road sideways. And when he hit the guardrail, it banged back this way and flipped two or three times. Now, it was on its hood. We, we walk up to the car. I get up to the car, and I'm expecting the worst, right? Well, this guy gets out of the car, and he's like, man, what happened? He fell asleep at the wheel. But it was at that moment I realized something. Those guardrails are there to, to provide safety. Literally, if those guardrails weren't there, he was going to end up in a tree. And I'm telling you, this actually would have been a whole lot worse. And it was at that moment that I realized that our lives are the same way. Many of us are going back and forth on the road. Many of us are going back and forth from good stuff to bad stuff. And God wants us to put guardrails there to keep us safe. That if we even do get too close to an accident, it'll push us back in the right direction. Now, I'm going to share a story with you. And some of you are going to go, Bobby, this is ridiculous. This is absolutely the stupidest thing. I can't believe that this is such a big deal to you. But I'm going to tell you why it's a big deal in a second. So several years ago, 10 or 12, 15 years ago, um, I was having a hard time sleeping. And so they detected that I have this thing called sleep apnea. Anybody else have sleep apnea? Did anybody have to go get a sleep study to see if you have? That is the biggest lie in the whole world. It is not a sleep study. It's a stay awake study because there's no sleeping going on. So if you don't know what one is, if you're young enough that you don't, or you're, you, you, they, put this, they put this thing in your nose and around your mouth, and it breathes, basically breathes for you, or kind of breathes for you. And then they put all these electrodes, and I looked like I was getting ready for like the Bride of Frankenstein show or something. Like I, I had things dangling off me and, you know, bolts in my neck, and it was, abs- it was crazy. And then they go, go to sleep. I rolled over and I felt like I was in a cocoon. Like, So I'm getting ready uh, the week before and the, the nurse calls me up and says, uh, Mr. Bobby, we got your sleep study already. And I just had this weird, did you ever just have this weird feeling like in your spirit, like just this weird, like something like, so I asked this stupid question. This is what some of you are gonna go, this is so, I asked, I said, can you tell me what time is this sleep study happening? What time do I have to get there? And they said, well, you're gonna have to get there when the hospital's closed about 11 o'clock. So you have to come in this, this other door and then we'll put you in the bed. And I'll put you, and she said, I'll put you in the bed and I'll sit outside your room while you're sleeping. I'm like, no, you will not. Cause I don't know what I do when I sleep. So I said, are you going to be the only one there? And you know what she told me? Yep. Just me and you. And I called my doctor up and I said, Hey, we got to go another route. He said, why? I said, because I have, I have guardrails in my life that I'm never going to put myself in my marriage. Now, not that I'm super hot that she was going to do something stupid or I was going to do something stupid. That's not funny. He could have just said, yeah, yeah. But I was not going to put myself in a position to compromise. And people go, that's ridiculous. I got to go on business. I, I understand that. But you know something? That's how a lot of mistakes happen when we make ourselves vulnerable, when we don't have guardrails in our lives. And it's important that whatever stage of life or whatever you're doing, if it's in your business, your personal life, that you put these things. And it may sound silly, but I can tell you who it didn't sound silly to. And I can tell you this, that if you were to ask your spouse today, they wouldn't think it's silly that you're putting guardrails like that up. I'll tell you who it meant a lot to, my wife. I was a rock star when I told her the story. She looked at me and said, thank you. You know why? Because nobody else is gonna sit at this table beside me. Nobody else is ever going to be called husband. Nobody's ever going to catch eyes with my wife. It's going to be me and me alone. So I have to put these guardrails up. 
30 years ago, I got in the marriage. I got in the marriage. Yeah, 31 years ago. Um, but I also got in ministry uh, about the same time. And one of the things that we said we were going to do is make sure that we never made ourselves vulnerable or put ourselves in a position to make ourselves vulnerable. And so at that time, there was a church out in California. It's called Saddleback. And Rick Warren was the pastor. And he put rules out for his staff. And it was the 10 rules of our staff. And I remember one day I was sitting there. I was listening to Rick Warren. And, and I, I started writing down, these are my... And so if you don't mind, you don't have a choice. You're going to hear him either way. I would like to give you my 10 simple rules to stay married. 10 simple rules to stay at the table, okay? And so some of you, you may be able to write these down and go like, that one's a really good one or that that one's not that good, but this one is. So here, here are my 10 simple rules. I won't go to lunch alone with anyone of the opposite sex. I, ever since I've been in 30 something years, I even struggle to be quite honest with you, and some of you are gonna think it's ridiculous, if my mom or, 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 or my sister asked me to go to lunch. I, I struggle because I don't want the perception to be that he is out with somebody else. Uh, it's interesting, uh, one of our staff members were telling me a story that happened uh, a couple years ago. They were down at the beach surfing, and when they were down at the beach, it was him and a friend, and when he was surfing, he noticed that his assistant, now we're three hours away from the church, his assistant happened to just be down there with him. She, the first thing he did is he called up his wife, and he said, listen, I want you to know, this had nothing to do, I didn't know they were going to be down here, I just want to make sure that you understand that I am not, I am not compromising my marriage, and this was just, just a happen chance. And so one of those things, I won't go to lunch. I won't have uh, the opposite sex pick me up or drive me places when it's just two people. And I know it sounds ridiculous, right? Some of you go, I can't, there's no way. I won't show affection um, to anybody of the opposite sex or same sex um, that could be questioned. I, I, I just won't do it. I, I will not visit the opposite sex alone at home. I won't counsel the opposite sex alone in the office. Uh, and truth of the matter is, I rarely, rarely, rarely counsel the opposite sex alone in the office without their spouse being there anyway, just because it's safe. I won't discuss detailed sexual problems with the opposite sex in counseling. I've had multiple times people have said, well, I want to tell you, I'm like, la, 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 la. You need to go to a professional counselor. I'm above my skis or over my skis on this one. I won't discuss my marriage problems with an attendee of the opposite sex. I'm super careful in answering emails, instant messages, chat rooms, cards, or letters from the opposite sex. I won't make a coworker, listen to this one, y'all. I won't make a coworker the opposite sex my protective ally. I am not going to confide in somebody of the opposite sex. I'll confide in somebody like a, like a Pastor Keith or somebody like that, but I'm not going to give those details to somebody of, of the same uh, opposite sex. And then last, I will pray for the integrity of my marriage and the marriage of other people on our staff and people around me. Those are 10 simple rules that I put into place. It's because of this. I constantly have to review my heart. Anybody else? If our heart's deceitful, we have, anybody watch football? So anybody watch football yesterday? So my, my wife is out of town. So I guarded my heart by watching football all day long. <laughs> so I got up in the morning and I watched the Ryder Cup, which by the way, we're winning. If you don't know what the Ryder Cup is, it's a great golf tournament. We're winning, I think, 11 to five. We need three and a half points to take it home, or whatever it is, four and a half points. Okay, so I'm watching football. Anybody watch the Georgia game? Okay, that's it. Anybody watch? That was the only game on, really. Um, anybody watch yesterday afternoon? Did, did, did. The, the Auburn, anybody, any Auburn fans? I, I can't believe you raised your hand still. You almost got beat by Georgia State. I think their team is like the underwater basket weaving team. So going into the fourth quarter, right, going into the fourth, did y'all, did anybody watch the game? So a lot of us, right? So the last quarter, 
the Georgia State, which I still laugh, Georgia State, Keith, of all the, Georgia State was beating Auburn, the, the juggernaut, you know, the screaming eagle tigers or whatever they are. <laughs> so it's the last quarter, and it's like a minute or two left, and there's a pass thrown. And the guy catches the ball. Well, you think he catches the ball. Now, in football, if you don't know anything about football or baseball now, they have this thing called a review. So if they're not sure, they, they go to the review, and they can reverse the call. But it's got to be overwhelming evidence well, the overwhelming evidence, and if you, you saw the game, you saw it. The ball is on the ground. This is not a catch. He's got, he's got chest, ball, ground. Hand is like this. At one point, it's between him and his helmet. He's like sitting here like this, like he's not even close. They say it's a catch. And because of that, if you're an Auburn fan, you should still not celebrate. <laughs> but I was sitting there watching the game, and you know what I thought? How can you get it wrong in slow motion? I love the, if you, if you hold the, the post game, the coach gets up there and he goes, that's what I expected from an SEC officiating crew. And I went, mm-hmm. <laughs> then I thought, wouldn't it be cool if we can review our lives? If we could slow, slow motion our lives and go, you know something? This was, I, now I see it. It was a really bad situation. I shouldn't have done it. Let's slow motion this thing and let's take a review of why it happened so I won't do it again. Well, what would happen if we could possibly do that? And I think that's super important when we talk. To, we need to review it. We need to examine it. Not only that, you need to have somebody in your life that is reviewing and examining your life and not somebody that's gonna tell you what you, what you want to hear. It's easy to put people around you that are gonna say, oh, it's okay, you can have that affair. Oh, it's okay, you can just go ahead and you can spend all the money, don't worry about it. Don't worry about getting, don't worry about it. No, bankruptcy, yes, bankruptcy, all, all that stuff. Or, or listen, it's only a little, it's only a little conversation, it's only a little, no! Put people around you that will tell you what's right and wrong, right, Pastor Keith? We have a group, we have a, a, a group of guys, we call it the bullpen. Isn't that a cool name? The bullpen. We're accountable. It's a lunch thing too, but I, I love it because Keith can walk up and go, man, you were like in the meeting today, like, man, you okay? Like something seemed like it was off a little bit. Like, like what? And, and we can do that. Get somebody in your group, guardrails to help you review your life. And let me give you the last thing. This is probably the most important. Place your heart in God's care. Keith talked about this. Place your heart. Ask God, ask God to search your heart. So, um, I don't know, 15 years ago or so, I was detected having cancer, um, skin cancer. And I, it wasn't like I wasn't going to die or anything. But so for the last 15 or so years, I've got to go to the doctor and they have to do these scans on me and they look to see if there's any other cancer. So a couple years ago, I went to the doctor and I didn't know this, but he was about to do what's called a full body search. I was good with just taking my shirt off and maybe my muscle or something, right? But so I, 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 it was, it was, I'm not going to get detailed, but it was like I, I, I kept my under, under, underoos on. You know, I was good with that. But he started with a black pen and a red pen. And he took the black pen and he started making circles. And I'm like, oh. And it was like, I don't know, 20 or 30 circles on like my, my, my body. So he's, he's circling these things. And then he takes the red pen and he starts making X's. And I'm thinking, this joker's playing tic-tac-toe on me. That's what he's doing, right? Like, he's just having a good time. Well, 
at the end of the, the thing, he goes, okay, well, we have a problem. I said, like, what's the problem? He goes, well, I don't want you to get up, upset because I know how you are, right? And I was like, okay, what's, what's going on, man? And he goes, uh, I think you have three types of aggressive cancer on you, and I, I, I'd like to do a biopsy. And if the biopsy comes back and it's positive, I want to get these out within a couple days, like real quick. And I was like, what's going on? And I, there was nothing on my skin. You couldn't even, like, a trained eye is the only one you could see it. But when he, when he put those marks, he was like, they're real small on the top, but in the, underneath, they expand and they, and they grow rapidly, real quick. And he says, it's not the outside that you got to worry about. It's what's going on on the inside. And then it hit me. It's not what's going on, on the outside. It's what's going on, on the inside that we should worry about. We can put up a facade. We can, we can fake it. We can, we can, everybody, we can dress really good and we can look really good and we can say, we can even say all the right things, can't we? But if it's going, if there's a cancer going on the inside, we got to take care of it. And the only person that can take care and rid this cancer is Jesus. And so we've got to put our hearts in the, in the hands of the, the, the only person that really cares for us. The Bible says this, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. He loves you. He loves you more than anybody else out there. And let me tell you, I think it would be good for all of us. And I'm a double dog dare us in this room. If you're watching online, if you're down at Sherwood, you're in the atrium, to pray a dangerous prayer. I shared this story with our staff three weeks ago. And a scripture that came to my mind was Psalms 139, verse 23. And it says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Let me, let me, if you pray that prayer, that, that, that prayer right there, it will convict you. It, it will correct you. It'll redirect your life. It'll change the way you see yourselves. It'll change the way you see others. It, it'll, 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 it'll expose bitterness and addiction. But then God can do something with it. God can take this heart, this hard, hard heart. I love the dialogue between Ezekiel and God. And God speaks this to Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 36. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart, a new spirit, and I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. David said this after his sin, created me a clean heart, O oh God, renew a right spirit. The only way you can be sure your heart is right is by completely yielding it to God and allow him to look at it. It's interesting. If you guys would do me a huge favor for the next three minutes, just pay attention to me. Put a pens down and phones down because I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna share the deepest thing that I've ever shared any time I've ever spoken. Okay? Y'all ready for this? Y'all ready? Seriously. Say, Pastor Bobby, I'm ready. Br bring me some deep right now. Okay? Why did the water come out? Because I shook, how many people say, because Bobby, you shook the bottle? Now that's the right answer. But in our world, we think very linear, like plain right here. Could there be other answers why that water came out? Here's the other answer. 
Water came out of the bottle because there's water in the bottle. If there's no water in the bottle, there's nothing that can come out of the bottle. And then it hit me. Think about David. Remember David? Caleb talked about him last week, this, the sin with him and Bathsheba, right? He's sitting there looking across the way and he sees naked Bathsheba over there and he tells his servant, hey, I want you, Keith, would you do me a favor? Go get that woman. And he comes back and he has an affair. They have a child together. The child dies. He kills Uriah. So he's a murderer. All this stuff is it's just a big old fat mess. Now, I, 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 I imagine the dialogue went something like this because his best friend comes up to him and tells him this little analogy, tells him this story. He said, if this person has a lot of ewe lambs and somebody takes one, they don't notice it. But if they have one ewe lamb and they take that one ewe lamb, everybody notices it. he's lost the only thing he has. And David is furious. And he goes, tell me who did this. And his best friend goes, you. You did that. You did that with Uriah. He had one spouse. You have countless spouses. You have one and you took it. Now, at that moment, think about what you would say in that confrontation. We would probably say something like this. But if you would have known my past, you would have understood why I did that. If you would have understand my upbringing and the rigid potty training I've gone through all my life, that's why I did what I did. Or listen, if she wasn't naked, what this problem would have known? It's her fault. That's not how you handle it though. You know what he said? Me. Read Psalms chapter 51. Because it's David's confession of exactly what happened with Bethsheba. As a matter of fact, if you would do me the favor, I would just like you to shut your eyes for a second. We're going to close right here. And I want you to hear the words of David. And maybe you have not had guardrails. Maybe you've had some things in your heart. Maybe you've pondered some things. Maybe your marriage isn't the where, where it's supposed to be. And you're not even sure you're sitting at the table anymore or if you want to sit at the table anymore. But maybe God's convicting you right now. Make this our prayer today. Have mercy on me, oh God. Because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stains of my sin. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion and it haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say and your judgment against me is just. Here's a confession. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. Renew a loyal spirit within. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. God, restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. Forgive me, forgive me. You do not desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. You don't want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repented heart, oh God. Father, it's in that prayer right there we find peace. It's in that prayer right there we find hope that even King David, after the heinous sin, the horrible sin, where he walked away from his table, he walked away from his family, 
that God, he was restored to you. And like we talked about in week one, you provide a place at the table for all of us, even a sinner woman, even a sinner man. And God, so I pray that we would find that peace. We would find that solace. We would find that, that hope right now in you, that we would give as careless as we've been with our hearts, that we would give you care of our hearts right now, that you could do what you desire to do with them. Father, I pray for every one of us in this room that we would protect and guard our hearts. Most of all, towards you and then to the world that we live in, the relationships we have. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Thanks again for listening today. If you need prayer or help taking your next step, email our team at nextsteps at journeycommunity.net.